Earlier this week, I had the privilege of being up in northern Minnesota at a cabin with a group of other young pastors from all over the country. One night, we decided to go outside and have a bonfire, and there was a decent amount of cloud coverage earlier this week, but at one point, one of the pastors said, everyone look up. The clouds had opened up, and the sky was completely unimpeded by any, any light or anything that could distract us, and we had a full view of the stars. For about 10 minutes, none of us said anything, which is saying something, <laughs> because <laughs> it was a great time together. But as we all stared up at the stars, I could not help but reflect on the fact that the God who made those constellations, who set those details into place, that's the same God who we've been worshiping today who we've been singing songs to and praying to, this God who wants to be in relationship with us. And that is really at the heart of the sermon series that we are going to be in for the coming eight weeks. We're talking about who God is throughout the Old Testament, how he loves his people, how he is in relationship with us, and how he takes intentional action in order to pursue us. So we will have weeks where we talk about how God rescues us, how God frees us, how God teaches us, and it makes a lot of sense that we would start this first week off talking about how God creates us. So we will be living in Genesis quite a lot today, and as we discuss the creation story, how God made the world and made us to be in relationship with him, there are three things that we will be centering ourselves on. The first is how God created a perfect world and perfect relationships within it. The second is how God's creation became broken. And the last is how Jesus invites us to become new creations through his power. From the very beginning, God invites us to be in relationship with him. This starts in the very first chapter of Scripture in Genesis 1. God creates the world with very specific, distinct order. He creates all that is in it. There was an artist who rendered Genesis 1. I thought it was a beautiful painting. And so since we have our kids in here, because it's Communion Sunday, kids, can you help me? Can you name some of the things that you see in this picture? Can you yell out a few of the things that you see? A zebra, an elephant, a giraffe. What else do you see? Turtles, stars, seals, so many beautiful things. Do you, (laughs) whales, do you guys know what God called each of these things? He called them good. He said that each of these things that God made, the land, the sea, the sky, the animals in it, he called all of them good. Do we have any students, high schoolers or junior highers in here? Did any of you take any trips this summer? Can you yell out where you went? Washington, D.C. Did you see some cool stuff there? Yes. (laughs) Did anyone else go somewhere else? Did someone yell Paris? That is one lucky kid. (laughs) These are beautiful places that God made when he created this land. And you know what God called them? Good. God made all of this and said that it was good. And then God saved humanity for last. After God creates everything in the world, he creates people. And this is what God says about it. 
We read, so God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Very good. God gives humanity his own image because before he even created us, he knew he would love us. He knew he wanted to be in relationship with us. So he gives us his image. Humanity is the capstone of God's creation, the very last piece, and it, humanity, is what makes creation not just good, but very good. God did this out of his love for us. And yet, soon after God created this beautiful universe and created humankind within it and said that it's very good, we hear God say that there is something that is not good. We read in Genesis 2, it says, It is not good that the human is alone. I will make a helper that is perfect for him. So the Lord God put the human into a deep and heavy sleep and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh over it. With the rib taken from the human being, the Lord God fashioned a woman and brought her to the man. The human said, this one finally is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because from a man she was taken. The first thing in all of creation that God said was not good was loneliness and isolation. God's solution for that is community. So he created another human being to be in relationship with him. God creates a helper that was perfect for him. Now this passage that we are reading was not originally written in English. It was written in the Hebrew language. So everything that I'm reading to you is a translation of another language. That phrase, a helper that was perfect for him, comes from the phrase, ezer kenegdo. Can you repeat after me? Ezer kenegdo. All right. Ezer. And ezer is a helper. This word shows up throughout scripture. And before we start to think of this helper... As someone who, who maybe does the menial, the small work, the, the kind of cleanup work so that the man can do the big important things, this helper, <laughs> this helper, Ezer, that word is most often applied to God in Scripture. God is the one who is an Ezer, a helper for Israel throughout the Old Testament. He saves them and is a helper. He rescues them and is a helper. That is the type of power denoted in this word Ezer. So before we start to think that it's small or menial, the original readers of this would have read that word Ezer and thought, oh, that is how God acts toward us. Then the second phrase there, konegdo. That is the, a helper, that was perfect for him piece. And that even sounds a little bit clunky when I say it, a helper that was perfect for him, because that word, konegdo, doesn't have an easy translation into English. It it means perfect, I like the word perfect, but what it really means, it it connotes an eye-to-eye, an equality. The image that best bears this out is actually of like a mirror image, 
Konegdo is like a balance or a parallel, a seeing eye to eye. In creating the woman, God communicates his desire for us to honor one another and to see each other eye to eye. We are meant to be powerful, equal helpers for one another. God also, in doing that, sets up a relationship that is supposed to draw out honesty and authenticity from one another. Because when we look into a mirror, we really can't hide from ourselves. When I look into a mirror, the image that's reflected back isn't any shorter than I am in reality. And it isn't any taller than I am. It's me. It may, it may be a little whiter than I actually am at times. It's neither here nor there. <laughs> Mirror images are meant to help us see one another honestly. That is what we are meant to be for one another, and that's how God sets up these perfect relationships. And this prototype relationship that God makes is not just meant to be for marriage. This is how all of our relationships are meant to function. God wants us to see each other because we have his image. When God said that he would give us his image and his likeness, he then calls us into relationship with one another to bear his image to each other. And this is certainly in marriage and in our homes, but it's also at work with our colleagues. It is also at the grocery store with the people who are helping us there. We are meant to be image bearers of God at even on I-494 at 5 o'clock on a Tuesday, regardless of the circumstances, we are meant to be image bearers of God to each other. When you look around at, in the sanctuary even, as we sit here, we are meant to be image bearers of God that are equal to one another. Not one person in the sanctuary is any better than you are. None of them are any less than you either because we are equal image bearers of God to one another. God establishes this beautiful harmony in the way that he created men and women. He set them into a garden that was as close to paradise as we will ever get. And this is the point in the story where I wish that I could just say everything was great. It continued on. We now get to participate in that garden together. But that just isn't the case. The world did not remain as God originally created it. These humans who are living out God's desire to be in relationship with him and to honor one another, they sinned. God asked them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did, it had fundamental results in the way that they interacted with each other. The implications disrupted the balance and the order that God created. For the woman, God said that she would desire her husband, but that he would rule over her. Instead of having that equal, balanced relationship, God says that women will desire men, but instead of honoring her as his equal, he will rule over her. And for the man, God names that from this point on, the lifespan of these two individuals will be short. Up until this point, it was just understood that they would live in relationship with God from here on out. But physical death entered into the world when they sinned. Genesis 3.19 tells us, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the fertile land, since from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
death entered the world through that sin. God's desire from the beginning was for humanity to be in relationship with him, ongoing physical relationship with him, and to honor one another, and death breaks that down. Sin also entered into the world. Chaos and jealousy and the temptation to wield power entered into the world. And I don't think I need to spend all that much time telling you that this world is not what it was intended to be. Emily just did beautiful prayers that named so many of the realities that we live with. And every week, our pastors go through your prayer cards. And when I get to the end of them, I often feel a little overwhelmed, and I have tears in my eyes when I turn to prayer over the the weight of what we carry, the realities of the brokenness, the temporariness of this world. Many of us in this room are, are carrying grief over loved ones who we lost, recognizing that they, the reality of their not being here, it's, it's close, and yet still trying to find hope and comfort in the midst of that. We have people who are struggling with unemployment and have been for a long time and feeling like they just can't quite get their feet underneath them, and they're wondering how God is going to use them. We have students who are feeling left out and shunned from their sports groups and from their friends, and they are wondering where they actually belong. This isolation, this sin, this brokenness is part of what happened in that fall. This was not how God created the world. The hope that I have to remind myself of over and over again is that death and sin do not have the final say. Another man came into the world, one who saw the destruction of sin and death and transformed them through his death into forgiveness and life. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 and 22, tell us that for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam, that first man, all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That first man brought death into the world. He broke that perfect order that God created. And since then, each one of us have had to live in the midst of the brokenness and the sin of this world. But God offers us a recreation when we enter into relationship with him through Jesus. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he subjected himself to death, and then he rose again, and he overcame death. He proclaimed that the effects of the fall— those things that mess with our relationships, that make us unequal, that those things ought to have no power when we allow God to redeem us and to breathe new life into us and our relationships. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are born into a fallen world, and from an early, early age, we can see the effects of sin. But when we choose to follow Christ, we set that old creation aside, and Christ makes us new. And that reality has very practical effects in our day-to-day lives. Ourselves that used to, to chase pride and to chase the next best thing are humbled when we recognize that it's only through Jesus that we truly have life. And ourselves that feel unworthy, that choose to sit on the sidelines, 
We are claimed as sons and daughters of God. We are called as believers to ask certain questions about our lives. We're called to ask whether we are affirming sin and affirming the fall and the way that we are living out our lives, or are we pointing people to Jesus? Are we pointing people to the redemption that God has in mind, that we can be new creations redeemed from this fall? A few questions for us to consider as a community. In any area of your life, are you asserting power that is causing others not to flourish? Are you wielding power over, intentionally or unintentionally, that's causing people not to live out the life that God has called them to? Kids and students in your classrooms, how are you reaching out to your fellow students, especially the ones who are struggling, who are feeling left out, who can't quite get the curriculum, or don't have as many friends as you do? How are you showing them that they belong? How are you bearing God's image to them? In your boardrooms, how are you uplifting the voices that are tempted to stay on the sidelines? How are you telling them that they are valuable, that they are an image of God, and that their voices matter? In your homes, how are you balancing out your responsibilities? How are you sharing the load together and loving one another well in doing that? This was God's hope all along that we would be in deep relationship with him and that we would honor one another. God calls us to be equal image bearers to each other, reminders that the fall is not going to win. We have a lot of different groups at our church who I've had the privilege to see live this out. People who stand in the gap between recognizing that yes, sin does have power and influence in this world, but that we are going to choose to point people to Jesus who has overcome death and overcome sin. We have a lot of groups that do that, but one that is especially close to my heart is our lay care ministry. We have a lot of groups who choose to go through a training so that they can show up for people who are in really hard times. We have one of the groups is a group of students. They're high school students. And what they do is at their high schools, they look around to see other people who are hurting. They look to see if there are kids who are having surgery soon, kids whose families are struggling. And instead of pretending like it's not happening or acting like it's not their problem, they get together every other week and they write care notes for those students. They make care packages for them, and they show that they are coming alongside them, that those kids are not forgotten. We have a group of hospital visitors, and one of the biggest ministries that our hospital visitors do is for people who are in transitional care. Transitional care is that space kind of between the hospital and home that people often have to go to just to get stronger before they're able to be at home on their own. And those stays can be pretty long. We have someone right now who's looking at three months in a transitional care facility. The isolation that can happen when people are away from their homes, out of their regular daily rhythms, and away from their communities can be really, really hard. So our hospital visitors have committed to showing up multiple times a week visiting with this person, reading scripture, reminding her that she is a child of God, that we are image bearers of God to one another, and that she is loved, and that Jesus has overcome the hard stuff that she is facing. 
This recreation that God does can happen on a communal level in really beautiful ways. But when God sent Jesus into the world, not only did he want to redeem each of our lives, he had a global vision in mind. He wanted to redeem the entire world for himself. And so we have missions partners who are halfway around the world who are doing this in really practical, tangible ways. And we support them and we cheer them on. Our mission of the month this month is the International Justice Mission in Uganda. One of the ways that they are standing in the gap, seeing that sin and brokenness are in this world, but pointing people to a God who wants to reclaim us, is that since 2004, IJM in Uganda has returned 1,200 victims of illegal land seizure to their homes. These people were living in their homes, and they were taken away from them. These people were pushed into exile. They were taken away from the homes and the livelihoods that they had. IJM saw this, recognized that this was part of the fall and part of the brokenness, but said that sin will not win in this instance, and they returned them to their homes. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had our partners in the Congo here with us. They have started up grief recovery groups for victims who have, for people who have lost family members to the Ebola virus. That is a type of brokenness of this world that we just don't live with, but they do. That is ravaging their community. And so again, instead of pretending like this isn't happening or trying to protect themselves, they are choosing to come alongside those family members and tell them that death may be a part of this world right now, but that Jesus has overcome this, that they will be reunited one day, and that God will reclaim all of this. God created us to be in equal relationships with one another, to have that balance and order and beauty that he created when he created the entire world. And yes, that is broken, but we have the hope that through Jesus, he is making new each and every one of us over and over again. Jesus offers and asks us to be in relationship with him, to allow God to be at work and to restore in everyday life, in our relationships, that equal balance and harmony that he called us to. Today is World Communion Sunday. It is a day for us to spiritually join hands with those missions partners that I just named and so many others, brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Today we celebrate that we gather around a communion table that we proclaim that Jesus is the one who offers us life and salvation. So while we may be speaking English and living in Minnesota, we have people who are speaking different languages who are all the way around the world, and yet we are united with them in taking the body and the blood of Jesus together. God calls us to be new creations, to find our life in Christ.